So come on, watch the video and subscribe. You will not regret it. It's some good material. All right, guys, let's continue with our teaching in the book of Genesis. The last time we were here, we dealt with Noah preparing to leave the ark after about a year's time. And after God commanded him to leave the ark, Noah rendered a great burnt offering, a sacrifice unto God. And that is what he was doing was he was basically rededicating all of all of existence, all of creation, as we want to consider it in that sense, a rededication unto the Lord and the Lord received his sacrifice. And so God also made a promise to himself that he would never again destroy the world in this manner. But now let's continue on to chapter nine. And when we get into chapter nine, we're going to get into the particulars of that promise that is sometimes called the Noahic covenant. That is the covenant that God made with Noah. But what we will see is that the covenant was not simply made with Noah. Noah was the key figure, but the covenant will be made with Noah, his sons and the children after them, also including all of the animal life that was on the ark. So therefore the covenant for the most part is made with creation, but Noah is the key symbol and figure of that covenant. All right. So let's get into chapter nine and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So now what we see here is this, as it was in the beginning with Adam, remember the, uh, in the um, covenant that God made with Adam, with that particular blessing that God made with him. And it was basically a threefold blessing, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That same blessing is being extended even now to Noah, because as it was with Adam, all of humanity came from Adam, now all of humanity comes forth from Noah and explicitly, explicitly Noah and his three sons. And as we will see, Noah has only three sons. He will not have any additional sons. So therefore, all of humanity will be populated from the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham and Japheth. Okay. But the blessing that God had originally given Adam and Eve, he also now extends to, in a sense, the new Adam who is Noah. All right. And also too, you want to notice as we look at this covenant that God is making with Noah, with notice the elements that are involved in that covenant with Noah and in comparison to that same covenant that God made with Adam in that same blessing. And as we move through the text, we'll highlight some of the comparisons and we'll also highlight some of the contrasting elements of that covenant. And we are about to come up and come to one right now. Verse two, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are given. 
Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I have, as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. All right. So now we move into another condition blessing, but the idea more so is condition of the covenant. And now if you can remember when God blessed Adam and Eve, uh, in the same issue, you know, the issue be fruitful and being multiply for their, um, God gave them, they were vegetarians. They could only eat the plant life. Now notice in the Noahic covenant, all animal life is also inclusive of that. So now man not only eats simply, uh, he's a vegetarian. Man is now an omnivore. He eats meat as well as vegetarian. And here's the thing you need to see too, guys. There is no sense with respect to being clean and unclean. There is no sense of that. In other words, he can eat Noah, all of humanity, can eat anything, anything, any kind of animal. So if you want to, if you want to think in this regard as pork or something of that nature, the answer is yes, he could eat that anything. Notice what it said again. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. So therefore there were no restrictions as to what mankind could not eat. Now we know that under the Mosaic law, this will be changed, but this is the covenant that God is making with mankind at this particular time under Noah and his sons. This covenant will be in effect. Matter of fact, since I'm here, let's talk about it. This covenant remains in effect for all the, for all generations of man up until the Mosaic law. The only time that this covenant will change is when God makes a covenant with the Jews. Notice I said, God makes a covenant with the Jews and therefore God lays certain restrictions in their diet. And he makes those restrictions under that classification of clean and unclean foods that are permissible for them to eat and foods that are not permissible for them to eat. But this was only to the Jews. Now for the rest of humanity, they remain under the covenant that God has made with Noah. My point being is this dietary restrictions. That is certain foods to be eaten or not to be eaten was only given under the Mosaic covenant and the Mosaic covenant was only given to the Jews to non Jews. They were still, or should I say, only bound by that covenant that God initially made with Noah. So with respect to Gentiles, non-Jews, even while the covenant of Moses was in effect. Now it's not in effect anymore. It's not in effect anymore. It is no longer in effect. All right. But nevertheless, while the Mosaic covenant was in effect, Gentiles were still permit permitted to eat anything that they wanted. Only the Jews were given that restriction under the Mosaic covenant. But now the Mosaic covenant is no longer in effect. 
It was nullified when Jesus was crucified on the cross and therefore the law of Moses and all of the stipulations within it were therefore abrogated, no longer in effect. Or sometimes we'll use that terminology. It was nullified. And so therefore, even now, Jews, if they wanted to, could eat anything. They are no, they no longer have those dietary restrictions. That is Christian Jews who wish to follow the law of Christ. That is the law teachings of the Messiah of Jesus. Okay. But nevertheless, let's get on back into this. I, I got into a little tangent because I think it may have been necessary to get a little understanding for this, but let's go back. So now we have this whole issue concerning that blessing that God has given to Noah and his sons in their dietary, uh, no longer restrictions of just plant. They can eat everything. And now what does God say? God says a fear and a terror of the animal kingdom will be towards you. So in the whole issue concerning that is this. Since now mankind is allowed to eat the animals, to give the animals some sense of protecting themselves, God instills a fear within them, a natural fear that animals run away. Why? Because man is going to eat them. <laughs> so instead of that, that natural, and see, here's what you have to also understand too. There was a sense of tameness that was in all of animal creation before the flood, before the flood. That is now among certain animals. Remember, you had two types of animals. You had the ant, the cattle. And you had the beast of the earth. Those were the two classes that the scriptures would talk about. The cattle. The cattle were those types of animals that were, in, that were intended to be domesticated. Cows, sheep, goats, stuff like that. Intended to be domesticated. And the beast were those animals that were intended not to be domesticated. But nevertheless, whether domesticated or not, those animals would show no fear or ferociousness towards man. Never. They would not harm man. They would not be afraid of man before the flood. But now, since God has allowed man to eat the animals, he instills within them that natural fear of man for the preservation of their own lives. But now here's the thing, too. What is this good or bad? It really, the text doesn't say, but my natural feeling, my natural inclination towards all of this is a negative. And it seems to say something about mankind because as we're going to see further in the text with other prohibitions, or should I say governing issues in the Noahic covenant, it says something about man. Man is a brutal and killing creature. That's what he has become in the fall. Man has continued to fall as man not only destroys the animal kingdom, he also destroys himself. Man is a creature of blood. He is a creature of killing. We saw that in the very first sons of Adam and Eve. 
What did Cain do to Abel? He shed his blood. So therefore, it seems to me by the context of this very passage of how God permits these things, not because we need it in our diet, because we had everything we needed in the very beginning. What did God say once he had created all things and given man his diet? It was very good. So therefore, we had everything. I think God is saying to man is, you are so bloodthirsty. Go ahead and kill the animals just the same. And that's what I think it's going. But nevertheless, I'm getting back to the text. Also, remember that we said there were certain comparative and contrastive things that we needed to see that God blessed Adam and Eve in that initial thing. He told them to subdue, have dominion over the earth. Notice that sense is not here stated. It's not restated that he said to Noah and his sons have dominion. Now, it does not mean that man is not over the earth, but it does mean that the spiritual dominion of the earth was lost in the Garden of Eden. That was the Genesis chapter three. Satan usurped man's dominion. That's why the Bible calls him the ruler of this world, John chapter 12. And that's again why he's called the prince and power of the air because Satan, and remember even again, when Jesus himself was being tempted by Satan himself, what did Satan say? The kingdoms of this world is under his dominion and they were his to give and he could give it to whomsoever he wanted to. So therefore the dominion of the earth was lost in the garden in the initial sin of Adam. So as he restates the covenant of blessing, that part is left out by God. Now, as he talks to Noah, he leaves it out. Why? Because man's dominion has been lost and it will not be regained until Christ. It was regained by Jesus on the cross. But the whole point is this is not restated here because it was lost. But nevertheless, man does retain his dominion over the animal kingdom and the animal kingdom itself in its entirety is given to mankind as a source of food. All right. The only restriction that he has is that Blood, man cannot eat blood for the simple reason the source of life is in the blood. The blood is the very animation. It gives life to the flesh and therefore man cannot eat blood. And we see this same prohibition being carried in the law of Moses unto the Jewish people because this all this is sometimes done uh, by people idolaters and people who did not believe in God and serve God in their worship of demons trying to acquire powers, acquire demonic power. They may not have understood it, but acquiring demonic powers through the drinking or eating of blood. And we also see that in this, in the New Testament church under the law of Messiah, to the Gentiles, this is also a prohibition not to drink blood. So all throughout, all throughout, man was always prohibited. You cannot drink blood. All right, let's go on, guys. Now he establishes another part of the covenant. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it and from every man from every man's brother, I will require the life 
of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. So now he gives what we now understand as human government. He gives man that command to create human government. And this is the principle of human government. That's what we mean. And the principle of human government surrounds murder, the taking of human life. And this also sheds a light. It implicitly sheds light for us on the background of what was going on in Genesis chapter six, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and the wickedness was great in the earth. What wickedness in particular? Murder, murder, because now God has to set forth a command. Murder is intolerable. All right. But nevertheless, what does he say? He says that God himself will require it. In other words, by requiring it, it means that God will act in judgment. Now, God does not particularly state what judgment it will be. We can see that particular judgment carried out with Cain. Remember Cain and Abel and God judged Cain for the shedding of Abel's blood. So God requires it. Whatever that judgment that God will bring upon the murderer, he did not say. It just simply says a judgment will be required. But notice what he said. The judgment will be required on animal as well as man. So therefore, anything that kills that is to murder for an animal to kill. Animals don't murder uh, to 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 kill. And always remember, guys, there's a difference between killing and murdering. You can kill killing. Murdering involves killing. However, murder by biblical definition means an unlawful killing, a killing that God does not permit. But notice even in this particular text, we see God not only permits a killing, God commands that a killing should be done. And what? why should a killing be done? If a person kills another human being with intent, if you intentionally murder another human being, you should be put to death. And here's the whole point again, whether it's an animal or whether it's another person who does it. And God says he himself will bring judgment upon that animal or that human being. And now the issue concerning human courts or concerning human governments. And when he says verse number six, Whoever sheds man's blood, notice, by man his blood shall be shed. In other words, that means that if a person would kill with intent another human being, other human beings, that is a human court, should come together, judge that individual if that individual is indeed guilty of intentional murder, then that person should be put to death. Okay. And so, and then he gives the reason for this, even though man is in a fallen condition, that's Genesis chapter three, that's the sin come down. We have fallen condition. We yet remain even to this day in the image of God for in the image of God, he made man. So this is the value of every human being, no matter where that human being comes from, no matter how lowly we may see that person, what is the value of every human life? 
It has its value because that person was created in the image of God. Now, here's the thing that I also want to bring about, guys. Oftentimes, we hear this issue about whether or not capital punishment should be allowed or whether or not Christians, Christians should hold to capital punishment. Here is the, and one of the reasons that people try to use that issue, they say Christians should not agree with it because the Bible says that we should not kill. No, no. The Bible does not say that we should, we should not kill. The Bible teaches that we should not murder. Remember, Murder is unlawful killing because at the very place where some want to say then best because they would some look at it in the King James Version without reading the remaining text, reading the things that follow where it says do not kill. It also says if there is a witch among you. Kill him. It also says what if a son or a son should raise his hand up against his father. Kill him. It says if a person is guilty of idolatry. Kill him. If a person was found working on the Sabbath day, kill him. So no, no, no. You you misunderstand it. Okay. So, but that's one thing when they try to say whether well, the Bible says that that's a misunderstanding of the law. You can kill when God says kill. But all of those examples that I just gave you were examples under the law. And remember what I said about the law. It is no longer in force, number one. And number two, the law was given to the Jews and not the Gentiles. What I want you guys to see here is this. This law that God has given is a universal law to all mankind. It is given to Noah, his sons. The, they represent all of humanity. And here's the second powerful point that you guys have to get here. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses. The law of Moses has not even been given yet. So therefore, what is what you see taking place here is a principle of God for the directing governance of humanity in all ages. What did I say? It is a principle of God in how God wants humanity to govern itself in all ages, whether Jew or Gentiles, that means that means to the Christian. What does and this here's the thing that I'm, I'm pointing here has not been abrogated. God did not say this is no longer in force. Mm -mm. It remains in force. God has not declared it null. So what is it saying? Even now, what is the Christian perspective? What is our perspective today in 2020 as a Christian? It says even here, if a person intentionally kills a human being, that person should not be sent to prison. That person should be executed by a human court. And that is the end of that. You do not murder a person and think that you have a right to live yourself. When you murder a human being because that human being is made in the image of God, you just forfeited your life. All right. Thus save the Lord. But anyway. All right. So let's go on. We got to finish this section. Verse seven. As for you. Be fruitful and multiply. 
repopulate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So then God just simply reiterates, he emphasizes once again, that blessing to repopulate the earth and notice and and this too guys and i don't want to get into it but it becomes very uh 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 interesting as we will see when this whole issue about nimrod and the tower of babel incident comes up so you want to remember this particular verse god wants them to be fruitful and multiply that is to populate the earth greatly but notice populate the whole earth populate the whole earth now, what they're going to do in that whole issue of Babel, they are going to try to gather into one place. But we're not there yet. Let's continue. Eight. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him. Notice Noah and his sons with him saying, now here is the affirmation of that covenant, or we should say the sign of that covenant. Notice, and there are three instances in which God gave a covenant and God gave a sign. Here, God gives a covenant that is the covenant that he's making with Noah and to all creation. The sign of this covenant will be the bow. Then God makes a covenant later on, Genesis chapter 12, with Abraham, and he will give a sign for Abraham and his covenant and his seed, sign of that covenant, which will be circumcision. And then God will give the Mosaic law to the Jews and the sign for that Mosaic law to the Jews will be the Sabbath day. And notice what I said, God, the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant to the Jews, not the Gentiles, not the church today. But nevertheless, let's just go on into this text today. So he says, what? <laughs> now, behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you. Notice that too, guys, not only with Noah, his son, all of the creatures. That's why I say the Noahic covenant is not simply the covenant of Noah, a co that is the covenant God made with Noah. God makes this covenant the idea with all creation itself. But we see the explicitness, the specificity with Noah, and his three sons. But anyway, let's keep going with verse number 10. Every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even what? Every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. So therefore, that that's the nature of the covenant. What is the covenant? That God will never destroy all flesh and never will he send a worldwide flood, a flood to destroy the whole world. And again, I just want to emphasize the point. The point, the issue is not localized. Local, in other words, Katrina, Hurricane Katrina was not a violation of this covenant that God made. Why? The whole world was not destroyed, only that particular area. Okay. All right. Anyway, let's continue on with it. Verse number 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenants. Now, here's the sign that we talked about earlier, which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. Notice what he said. That means in perpetuity, 
Even now, this covenant remains. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And did you notice all of that reiterate, like said it over and over and over and over again. And I think it does have a sense of emphasis here, but the whole point is this, the rainbow, the rainbow is the sign of the covenant that God made with Noah, his sons, and all that was in the ark. And the whole promise of that was never to bring destruction to the earth in its entirety by water. And God just simply used that anthropological language that simply means speaking as if he was a man. And also the idea of God's faithfulness to the covenant what did he use? He used that language and says, I will remember. In other words, that whole issue concerning the rainbow. Now, whether or not the rainbow was present before now, or in other words, was there a rainbow before this particular time? It's not that important. I seem, it seemed to think not. I seem to think not. Why? Because it had not rained. However, rain you don't necessarily need rain so that the rainbow will appear but nevertheless god can control the rainbow god can make one appear when he wants to appear but the whole point is when he does make it appear when one does appear the language anthropological language god speaking as if he was a man and also the idea of god's faithfulness to remember his word his covenant god says i will remember god's faithfulness i remember that covenant so the rainbow is a sign that god remembers not to destroy all of the whole earth by the flood of waters once again and also not only is it something for God to remember a promise that he makes to all creation that he makes with all creation it gives all creation a sense of comfort that it will never again be destroyed in this way however God says even though he will not destroy the whole world with what water one day he will destroy it again but the next time, it'll be by fire. All right, guys, join me for the continuation of this section as we talk about the sin. And you really want to be with me when we talk about that curse that is upon the son of Ham. Cursed be Canaan. All right, guys, see you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.